fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienno. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about renting an Airbnb so I can cover the emergency act inquiry with my friend Vienno. True. Important things. I mean, to clarify, we're not doing that, but uh, that is what we'll be covering. Hey, patrons, pay for us to buy a house in Ottawa to rent to Rebel News. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pay, well, it'll be paying for us to rent an Airbnb to cover the people who are renting an Airbnb to cover the Emergency Act inquiry. Yeah, we won't we won't look at the inquiry or the Emergency Act thing at all. Uh, it'll just be going from Airbnb to Airbnb in Ottawa. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but how are you, Vieta? I'm very sleepy today. Um, yeah, I mentioned it to you before we started, but like, I passed out on the couch last night and just like, it wasn't even like a nap. It was fully, I woke up in the morning, like not even early, like 10 a.m. It was, I'm I'm a bit, I'm in sleepy mode today. Um, that's about it. How are you? Sleepy mode is good. I, I am, uh, I'm all right. I've been a bit out of it of uh, sorts uh, since I got the the, the booster shot, but uh, other than that, I'm I'm feeling uh, feeling okay. I we still have one episode I have to uh, edit and put out there, and hopefully that'll be out uh, uh, tonight as we record. But then, uh, yeah, then we should be like roughly caught up uh, to to where we're at with the the show. So uh, good for that. <laughs> I just, I feel like that is tempting fate too much. We are never caught up. Like, there was a stretch where we were caught up. It, it just, uh, I went on vacation and that derailed us a little. That's, <laughs> that's and it was all. probably like a two, three week stretch, you know? Like, Listen, just, I think, I feel like we're just jinxing it by like claiming we ever will be, you know? Let it happen if it happens, but don't, you know? Oh, it's going to happen. But I'm, I also wanted to uh, jinx it even more by saying this, if, if all goes well, this will be the first year where I feel like we've actually covered every single week of their show. Uh, every other previous year, there's been moments where like we had a drop-off period or something has happened where we, we stopped covering it for like a month. I think this was our first official full year if we make it to January covering every week. So. <laughs> One of us is going to die now. Yeah. Like... <laughs> well, uh... In that case, uh, we might as well get to the, the news stories <laughs> before we die before this episode's out. So here we go. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. So this is a weird week. We're covering October 9th, which is the Sunday, until October 14th. Now, what's weird about this is normally they do an episode Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Your weekday episodes. But for this week, for whatever reason, they released a Sunday episode, and they didn't release a Wednesday episode. So we still get five days. It's just... I don't know why it's broken up this way. It could just be that Ezra is traveling all over the place and this is just what their schedule is. But 
either way, we start off on the 9th, which is Sunday. And Ezra is talking about why he's been away recently, which is that he's been traveling a lot. And part of that, which he's already explained before, which is that I guess he's meeting with staff in uh, all across the country, but also in other countries. And he, I, I guess like, you know, he's the boss man. So he's got to like check in on the staff, <laughs> make sure they're doing everything right. You know, the other thing he needs to do as well is like, I guess we're aware of the democracy fund, which is the the charity thing that's attached to to rebel news and that has mostly been funding lawyers who have been like helping people fighting covid regulations and so apparently the democracy fund is also helping people in other countries and ezra spends a lot of time for whatever reason in this episode focusing on the work they're doing in both scotland and australia and the stuff in Scotland, it's weird because he, he spent a lot of time talking about this one, like, official who, I guess, g defied the COVID mandates by holding some protest outside of a city hall somewhere. I think he said it was in Aberdeen. And I tried looking for this information based on the name that he gave, and I couldn't find it. And I just gave up. <laughs> I was like, frankly, he's probably lying about what's going on there. But I also could find very little information on it. And I think in part because the guy, or at least the person he names, is someone, he, he names them Patty Hogg. And I looked for any Patty Hogg, and apparently, like, it's a dish. Like, people talking about, like, making food of a Patty Hogg. And then there's, like, some sort of, like, character in a show that's called Patty Hogg. And those are most of the search results. So, <laughs> I don't know. And also, like, that could be, like... Patrick, Patricia, that could be, like, the more Gaelic spellings of that. That could be, like... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tried P-A-D-D-Y, like a patty, rather than patty. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. But either way, I, I just assume that these are cases, again, where, like, I would obviously criticize the heavy-handedness of the police. Like, so he plays a clip of a family in Scotland where the police, like, were yelling at them and being mean. And, like, yes, police suck. But then I'm like... The other end of this is probably the stuff that Ezra's not covering, which is the specifics of why the police were there in the first place, which is often what, like, Ezra doesn't cover, which is, like, they probably were being belligerent to a uh, service worker while not wearing a mask or something, which is usually how these things go. Mm -hmm. He also claims that most of the staff for Rebel News are not vaccinated, which is why they could not travel during all these uh, travel bans. And so that's most. something... <laughs> Yeah, we So not all. Not all, but like, you know, he he does say most. And that's something like we've speculated about, but I guess he's semi coming out here admitting to it. But he's happy that now that the bans are lifted, they can go and uh do more traveling and covering things abroad. And so he's using this as like a jump off point to talk about how they are going to be covering some upcoming who uh event that's being put on by the UN. So this is how Ezra sort of uh, talks about that going forward. I'm going to talk a little bit more about Fight the Fines and Arthur Pawlowski's case today, but I want to tell you that our most of our team at Rebel News is unjabbed. Now, we don't care if you're jabbed or unjabbed. As far as I'm concerned, that's a personal choice everyone can make for themselves. We have jabbed and unjabbed people at Rebel News, and we never inquired, and we never you know, violated people's privacy. But I happen to know that a number of our folks were unjabbed. And between that and foreign countries' rules and Trudeau's bans, we really 
didn't leave the country much. Now, that was okay insofar as the story was here. We had to cover the lockdowns in Canada. We had to cover the Canadian reaction. and We were very busy from coast to coast. Alexa Lavoie in Quebec, Drea Humphrey in Vancouver, so many journalists in between uh, those two places. We really had a lot of work. But now that Trudeau has finally dropped his unscientific vendetta against the unvax, some of our journalists who you've gotten to know for the domestic coverage are going to be making trips to foreign countries. For example, coming up in just a week, we are sending a crew of five people to the United Nations World Health Organization Summit in Berlin. That's starting October 16th. That is a that's the largest gathering of the WHO. In fact, it's their only in-person gathering in three years. We're sending five people to cover it, including Alexa, who's going to cover it in French. I think it's going to be very important. There's going to be delegates from up to 200 countries there. Obviously, we're going to keep our eye peeled for the Anthony Fauci's and Teresa Tams of the world. But I'm very curious to talk to people from the third world. To talk to people from Africa, the least vaxxed country, which happens to have the lowest COVID mortality rate. Isn't that interesting? I, if possible, I'd like to talk to a delegate from China. Why has that country refused to inject its citizens with mRNA vaccines? Isn't that weird? I want to talk to people from India. Because India said to Pfizer, sure, you can sell your drug here, but we want to do clinical trials. We want to see them. And Pfizer said, no, thanks. So I, I see you looking things up. Before you look it up. So he's laid out three points here. Let's take them one by one. I'm curious, why do you think... So first I will acknowledge, the first point he says about Africa is true. Not about the third world country. We'll, we'll ignore his... No, like... no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't think you get to say that when he said Africa, the least vaccinated country in the yeah. world. <laughs> I didn't even pick up on that yet. <laughs> yeah, so I got distracted looking up an African nationalist news... Uh, journal called africa is a country <laughs> that's what i was looking oh, yeah. up <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean i just i just missed his blatant racism i i do love like he, he calls them all third world uh Af the whole continent of africa is a third world country apparently uh but he claims that they have the lowest covid mortality despite being the least vaccinated so it is true that the content of africa has a lower vaccine rate and that they have a lower COVID mortality. Do you have any idea of why that might be, though? Hmm. Can't be anything to do with, like, lack of uh, government capacity to maintain statistics. That's for sure. Uh, of, lack of testing capacity. That kind of stuff. It's The, the actual answer is a lot more depressing, which is, oh. which is that Africa has a... Uh, a, a lower age threshold of uh, uh, average of their population is lower in age because they don't live as long, uh, which hmm. we could explain why that is. And so their elderly population, uh, there's not as many of them to die off like they did in other countries or continents. Yeah. I'm curious about like the testing capacity stuff because I know that they have like really good testing capacity for some like diseases and like that their health un their like healthcare systems are a lot more based around like transmissible disease than ours are. Um, well, the other aspect of that, which you can imagine, is like the reason why they're so low in terms of vaccination 
also has a, an obvious answer, which is that governments around the world who have produced the vaccines were selling it to African countries at a high price that they could often could not afford. Or even when they purchased them and got the vaccines, they were close to being expired. And therefore, mm-hmm. it took time for them to like they didn't have enough time to distribute by the time that they expired. And so like all these problems that are just like the ongoing history of the rest of the world's treatment of Africa, you know, rather than it being something like, I don't know, mysterious, like you don't actually need vaccines or like whatever Ezra's trying to do here. I also liked the commentary on China about like the, you know, why don't they use mRNA vaccines? And it's like one, they developed their own at around the same time, independently of the private Western corporations that developed them. And two, like, is he shifting to a like China good narrative because they didn't use mRNA vaccines? Yeah, I like from the most anti-China dude around for him to be like, oh, maybe China was right about this, about the or like what I don't know what claim he's trying to like provoke there yeah because like i don't know if like the flip side of it is like they know something that we don't and they're so they want us to like they want the western countries to get it but then it's like but then why would the western countries give it to their own people like but then he he'll probably be like well the western countries are weak and like like i don't know there's always ways that he can sort of like talk around this shit but the other reason like so you're right on the first point which is that china developed its own vaccines but you could you could bring up some sort of like question about which vaccines are more effective, and and uh, I didn't do any of that research. But on on the account that maybe the mRNA are better or whatever, the reason why uh, China did not adopt mRNA technology vaccines was because they asked for the intellectual property to develop the vaccines themselves rather than purchasing it from Pfizer or Moderna, and Pfizer mm-hmm. and Moderna both refused to give that information to China. Now, there, if you were a capitalist, you might be like, well, yeah, it's intellectual property. But I'm like, fuck it. This should have been like the polio vaccine. Everybody should have had the technology made available to them. And uh, I, I just find this a, a stupid argument. Yeah. And all of those, like the mRNA vaccines were all developed using like overwhelmingly public funds from multiple countries. Like it was, you can't even claim that it was one country's property, one like, you know, like one corporation won anything like it was a huge collaborative effort from like across like multiple continents and it's a world health problem so if the mrna vaccines are more effective and again i didn't look into that question but if they are then that that should have been made available to everyone everywhere regardless it should have been made available to everyone any everywhere because then we might have a like more clear answer to that and also like you know, it might not, even if it isn't more effective in this specific case, it's sounding like it's going to be more effective in, like, AIDS and HIV research, at least. So, you know, considering that that is also a global health emergency that has been ongoing for years, decades now, making things available and the technologies for development and research available is a good thing. The last point, which was about India, was slightly more complicated so he had mentioned something about how india wanted to do trials and pfizer wouldn't let them that is partially true but not the whole story so there was a time where it looked like india was going to purchase 
uh, a load of Pfizer vaccine and ended up not going for it in part because they didn't india did not agree to uh, pfizer's decision to try to remove liability from the vaccine now this actually is a standard practice when governments take on vaccinations in part because if the government is mandating that everyone gets a vaccine the company doesn't want to be liable if like something bad happens like they want to move that liability to the government and like you can see why that might be uh I guess a an okay solution if the government is in fact mandating it, right? That's not necessarily on the fault of the company. You could criticize India's government for maybe like uh, that being the reason for why they didn't, but also India had their own development of vaccines. And by the time all this was being worked out, it was just more affordable for them to go with the vaccine that they made within their own country. And so just like China, it's like, yeah, the reason why they're not taking these vaccines is only because of their internal supply is cheaper and probably just as effective or good enough, you know? Yeah. And speaking of countries of the global south that develop their own vaccines, there's Cuba with like six different vaccines they developed and like have been distributing globally and giving away like all of the data for for development anywhere you know i but you know i can't imagine rebels gonna gonna talk about them oh not at all but what's weird about him even bringing up these three points is that they have to go to the who to like investigate this when it's like i found this information because it's publicly talked about by all these countries (laughs) i didn't need to go to the who to figure out this information i could easily research it from the comfort of my home it also, in none of the things that we covered, implied some sort of nefarious plot either. One other thing that um, I just am concerned about, considering they are traveling to Berlin, uh, and Berlin has a very large, uh, or in Germany has a very large, like, anti-vax contingent dominated by um, a certain AFD, uh, Alternative for Deutschland party. I really hope we don't see German rebel news soon. <laughs> Well, I mean, they've already had the AFD people on their show, so it's uh, yeah would not so they're gonna. Them, yeah. But you know, we're gonna see some some photos out of this, I'm sure. But Ezra ends the COVID coverage uh, by talking about Arthur Pavlovsky, because I guess he got acquitted again for another one of the things that he did. I it, I found it weird because like again there was almost no news coverage about what this case involved, and all I got from Ezra was I guess. Uh, he was at a post office in a shopper's drug mart or something like this and refused to put on a mask and claimed that he was medically exempt from wearing the mask. And this was like near the beginning of the pandemic. And so I guess he got acquitted, but it's not clear why. So I don't know. And like, I couldn't find any of the information on exactly what the judge ruled. So I don't know if it was like some sort of technicality that he got off on or like whatever. But either way, it sounds... Based on what the the postal worker, they describe... So based on even Ezra's own telling of what the postal worker went through, it sounded like Arthur Pavlovsky was being an asshole. Uh, and yet still got acquitted. So even though that was most of the show, Ezra then transitions into talking about Ukraine. This is going to be an awkward talk... Uh, uh, sorry, this is going to be an awkward topic to wade into, in part because there are disagreements on the left about a lot of this stuff. And... Uh, I don't know if we're going to make any broad statements that might make people angry about us. 
or what it is, but like, uh, it's interesting that this got brought up on Ezra's show because as we've said, like Ezra has largely been like a weird figure on the right in terms of how he talks about the Ukrainian conflict in part because he, he constantly reiterates how much he, he hates Putin but largely it has to do with his own views about ethical oil and wanting Canada to be to like replace Russia as the main exporter of like gas to Europe and America. However, when it comes to the conflict it's himself, he seems to be like again sort of taking the the standard right-wing line here which is that like Russia invaded largely because of NATO pressuring Russia and it was like Russia doing like a preemptive self-defense thing and sort of has like hand waved to that sort of like line that, that some people have adopted, especially on the right wing. Although like, again, other people have made that on all sides of this uh, <laughs> debate. Uh, but that's usually where he stands. So in this episode, he, he wants to talk about the increase of the the chatter about nuclear war and what that might bring and about how this war can resolve itself, if it can resolve itself and like all of that sort of stuff. But also he talks about specifics that have been happening. Uh, for example, the the attempted assassination of Alexander Dugin, the, the bridge attack uh, uh, in Crimea, uh, and also the, the recent uh, shelling of of Ukraine by Russia in retaliation to the bombing. So we're going to hit on a few of that, but he begins with talking about the, the bridge attack. So I'm going to play a clip and then we can discuss, I guess, the particulars of what uh, Ezra is claiming here. And when I saw the images of the mighty Kerch Bridge, that's the bridge that Russia built connecting Russia to Crimea, which is a multi-billion dollar ridge. It's a rail bridge and, a, and an automobile bridge. And it's not just a, a strategic piece of infrastructure. It is a full of political pride for Vladimir Putin. He personally inaugurated the bridge. When I saw that that bridge was destroyed, I wouldn't even call it a military attack because it was not by jet fighters or a missile boat or anything like that. It was a truck bomb frankly, terrorist style. I think I think that's what you'd have to call it. And in fact, it sounds like the driver of the truck did not know what he was driving. Ukrainian authorities took credit for the explosion, which I suppose means they take the blame for killing the man who was in the truck and those who were blown up by it. I found that shocking uh, and audacious and bold. And I suppose it's the kind of thing when you, you do when you are in a total war, but I am deeply worried about the reaction that may come from Russia. Others have been a little bit more clear in their sort of like implying that this was not a, uh, I guess, an okay military target. Uh, he's not as heavy handed in being like, this is unjustified. It was an attack on civilian infrastructure, which is one of the lines that like a lot of people have uh, used, even though he has made, he is sort of like, you know, subtly making the comparison to like it being a terrorist attack. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say, just on my thoughts of it, it is, like, a bridge is a military target. Uh, bridges have been attacked throughout this entire conflict by both sides of the conflict. Uh, so it's like, I don't know why... It's like the only reason this 
this is being talked about this way is because it was a truck bomb or at least alleged to be a truck bomb that I feel like it's like for some people that crosses this like line into like now it's like some weird terrorist attack as opposed to just typical military stuff. I think it's a very silly framing as if like terrorist attacks are not militaristic. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, but also, I think we should do this to every bridge in the world. So, yeah. like... <laughs> Anti-bridge action? <laughs> literally, yes. Like, yeah. It's a... Gr- fuck yeah. Blow up a bridge. Like, what? <laughs> what's the problem with that? Uh, I don't know. People want to get time from you come A across- to B, you know? <laughs> Go around. Swim. <laughs> Go around the long way. Like... The thing that's also... Um, <laughs> Unless you have something other no. than blowing up all bridges. <laughs> yeah. The thing that's weird about this is in me trying to look into it, it's not even clear that it was a truck bomb. Uh, at least, like, I-, I think the consensus is starting to surround the truck bomb theory, in part for, like, how the bridge itself collapsed would indicate... Have you seen those photos, too? Yeah. It's so it's so beautiful. Like... <laughs> The the thing with it, too, is so, like, because other people have speculated that it could have been some sort of, like, a boat or some other, like, thing that just wasn't caught on the camera. And even, here's where it gets tricky, is that although I agree most of the evidence points to a truck bomb, the one truck that Russia is trying to highlight uh, based on their own footage as being the one that instigated the the explosion doesn't seem to be where the ignition source is. So it's quite possible that it was a different truck and that Russia has got the wrong truck or something. But like that's the that's the discrepancy that's like hard to to sort of trace, to know for sure like what it is. And in part because Russia also released what they called uh, an X-ray of the truck indicating that they they knew or that they could discover a bomb on the truck. And when you compare the X-ray to the truck that then they have on their video footage that they claim is the one that exploded, the the x-ray has fewer wheels than, <laughs> than the truck they claim blew up has uh and so part of what makes this difficult is that there's tons of misinformation and russia is producing a lot of it uh especially yeah, on this it, uh incident that's the thing too right like it's a war everybody's fucking lying about everything all we know is that a bridge exploded and that it looked really cool well, well, that's the thing. So based on Russia releasing that footage, a bunch of people did like their internet sleuthing to try to track down who was involved in this truck. And so they yeah. they traced it down to this one like family that like rents these trucks. And the claim that then started spreading was that the person driving the truck was simply a delivery guy and didn't even know that the bombs were placed on the truck. And that's where Ezra was talking about how he didn't even know the guy was on the truck. Now, the only media company to broadcast this information is Russia Today. That is the only source of this information. And I frankly don't believe Russia Today. And some of their ex-employees now work for Rebel News. (laughs) And this information is only circulating in the kind of like right-wing grifter sphere. Yet I see it be repeated that the truck driver didn't even know what he was driving. And again, this is based on footage which shows that the explosion did not come from that truck. Or at least, maybe it did, but it doesn't look like it did on the video footage. 
it's just amazing. Like, it tells you where Ezra's source of information is coming from. That he knows these talking points because he's listening to those sources. Um, one more note on bridge destruction. They uh, blew up a bridge uh, in town recently uh, because they're quote unquote building a new one. Um, <laughs> what, are you are you saying it was a terrorist attack? <laughs> no, I'm saying that the missing bridge area looks also cool as fuck, and I hope they never manage to build that bridge. All right, <laughs> it looks great. It's so cool. Cool as like partially destroyed, like as like a yeah decaying. Yeah, I I agree. I kind of like that dystopian aesthetic. Yeah, but I want it to like stay that way. You know, like I'm sure we can we can find other ways around. Knowing that bridge, most of our audience is not going to understand. But I'm also like, it's kind of a useless bridge. Like <laughs> there are ways to get across that river other from that one spot. So yeah, sure. Yeah, but I want all those bridges gone too. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Like, I'm fine with the concrete, like, middle supporting structures staying, because I think those are good homes for, like, oysters and, like, you know, nesting ducks and whatever. Um, but, yeah, bridges bridges suck. They're, they're nightmares. Um, one day we will be free of them. Anti-bridge action. You heard it if we were first. If, you know... If we reduced car infrastructure, I would be in support of pedestrian and bike bridges. Um, those are those are manageable. Um, you know, like rail bridges. I'm iffy on still. I don't. I don't really like those either. But bridges for some, miniature American flags for others. No. The last thing I have to say about this bridge incident that I find particularly frustrating as well is that there was. A New York Times article that sourced an anonymous Ukraine official that claims that the Ukrainian intelligence service was responsible for the bombing of the bridge. However, Ukraine has denied their involvement outwardly about the bombing. Now, the thing that frustrates me is it is it is likely to me that it, it was Ukraine's responsibility. I mean, it's also possible that there's some sort of insurgent group somewhere that, like, planned this out. But what annoys me is all the voices that are using this New York Times source as evidence that this was a Ukrainian attack are the same people who think the New York Times is like a lying mainstream media rag and will distrust everything they say always, but are just leaning so heavily on this one point. And it's like, why? Like, it's it's alleged. The least you could say is it is a, an alleged official anonymously said that they, they did it. But instead, it's being reported. I found so many sources saying, New York Times said, New York Times said, as if this is like official doctrine from the same people who think that, that, that New York Times is lying state media for, like, America. I love that Western media is just lying about the action of their allies, and then the allies are just like, no, no, no. We didn't do that one. It wasn't us. <laughs> but I mean, like, it could be that the Ukrainian official wanted to leak that out. So it looks like they did it when they didn't. Re- like, you know what I mean? There's so many ways in which this information could be manipulated by all sides of this. And yet people like are taking the snippets that they like to like back up the points that they want to make. And all I'm saying here is let's be actually critical about the information we're getting from this fucking conflict. All right. Yeah. Speaking of people who are not being critical, Ezra wants to claim that Joe Biden is personally uh, personally responsible 
for destroying the Nord Stream pipeline. The explosion of their Nord Stream undersea natural gas pipeline, which was detonated by a massive trove of explosives, um, no one has definitively uh, taken credit or blame by that, but I think the conventional wisdom is that something so sophisticated and so major could only have been done by a government entity, and um, the list of governments whose militaries could pull that off is quite limited. And then there's just oh that little video of Joe Biden saying, don't you worry, that pipeline, we can take it out of commission if we want. Here's Joe Biden saying that a few months ago. If, uh, if Russia invades, uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the, uh, the, the border of Ukraine again, then uh, there, will be, uh, we, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We, we will bring an end to it. But how will you how will you do that exactly since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control? We will. Uh, I promise you we'll be able to do it. The thing that is silly about that clip. Is Joe Biden was right. As soon as the war started, Germany cut off the like the connection to the Nord Stream. Yeah. So Joe Biden was right. He, he followed through as his promise, and it involved not, you know, detonating mines and blowing up the pipelines. He did it through, you know, diplomatic persuasion because the whole world was shocked when Russia decided to invade Ukraine. That being said, Ezra is correct that the, I guess, based on what we now know about the uh, sites of the sabotage, it is clear that it involves some sort of technology, technological, uh, you know, uh, expertise that it's likely not carried out through like vigilante type people. It seems like it was likely mines that were placed there and then detonated remotely. And that would involve a lot. And if that's mm -hmm. the case, yes, that seems to be. It either came from some sort of uh, either EU or NATO uh, affiliated government or from Russia itself and there's no data to suggest who, who who's at fault for this and also then people start going into the motive like who had a motive and honestly no no motive makes sense to me I've read both sides of the argument and it seems like neither are plausible to me like <laughs> I don't know why America would do it I don't know why Russia would do it to themselves I, I don't know why any of this would happen. Venezuela did it. Yeah. <laughs> Canada did it because we wanted to sell our, our gas to you. No, Jesus. Christia Freeland, personally. <laughs> she she trained in scuba diving so she could place yeah. the mines. Yeah. Fidel Castro, known for his love of scuba diving. <laughs> came back, came from back the dead. to life. <laughs> Blew up a pipeline, climbed back into his grave to sleep forevermore. And so, yeah, someone clearly did this. And, like, it's one of yeah. those things where it's like, I'm, you know, it, it would not surprise me if, if America was somehow involved. It would not surprise me if Russia did it to themselves. It would not, like, none of this would surprise me. Because sometimes people do things where the motive is not necessarily clear. And maybe it'll come out, maybe it won't. But it's just like, again, with the endless speculation, while no evidence is in, 
right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, at least go with the evidence we do have. It is clear it's sabotage. And let's wait till we can figure out more before everyone's like just pointing fingers at each other here. Also, largest methane release of all time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the other part that's like not talked about is like, you know, war war is just going to exacerbate the already exacerbated uh, climate crisis. Yeah. It's fucked. Yeah. No, it's so bad. Ezra then moves on to talking about how everything is provoking Putin and that it is bad because Putin has nuclear weapons. He then also goes on a tangent about how Trudeau is typically a peaceneck, but he's coming off as butch, which I thought was a weird way (laughs) of describing Trudeau. Like, I love that he uses butch specifically and not like masculine or some other signifier because like, I feel like butch also has connotations with like lesbians. And so he's still trying to like effeminize like the the you know what i mean like there's like an element of like why he chose that word out of all the words to describe his more like militaristic posturing which is what he's trying to describe yeah that's so confusing like yeah you know obviously homophobic but it's just like i yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was like, such what, a throwaway what is line? that meant was, to convey yeah it was such a throwaway line that wasn't even worth clipping it's just like it did strike me as weird that he called him butch yeah Ezra then goes on to talk about Alexander Dugan, and he describes it as an act of revenge that was designed to provoke Putin. I think things are getting heavy. The the Crimean Bridge blown up, the pipeline blown up, and one of Putin's close allies named Alexander Dugan, his daughter Daria Dugan, was assassinated. I mean, uh, that, that kind of, it feels terroristic. It doesn't feel military it feels vengeful it feels like a vendetta and it feels like the kind of thing frankly designed to provoke vladimir putin to overreact to over respond so he's going to get into the response to uh, both the bridge and like all these things you'll get into that in a second but it just strikes me as weird too because this is another thing where a lot of people are pointing out like who's responsible for it and there hasn't been a lot that's clear about the attack again. And again, this is a, a conflict area. There has been weird, like, there was a one sort of, like, person who's, like, anti-Russia who claims that he's the spokesperson for some sort of, like, interior uh, national Republican front for, like, the Russia, like, that's, like, targeting the Russian government or something, even though most credible sources think that that's just made up. <laughs> yeah. There's so many, like, just weird things. And, like, You know, it is possible that Ukraine was involved in it, uh, even though they deny it. And then again, New York Times claims there's some anonymous Ukraine official that said some things, and that's being touted around again by the same people who touted the other claims as well. And at the end of the day, we still don't know. We have very little. Russia claims that it was some assassin who fled through Estonia. Estonia even denies that. But then also notice, like, everything that Ezra is saying here. Alexander Dugan and his daughter are terrible human beings that both supported the National Bolshevik Party, which was a far-right neo-Nazi, basically, uh, organization, uh, that their flag, for what it's worth, was basically the Nazi flag, but instead of a swastika, it had a hammer and sickle in the center. They're not a good party. They're not good people. Alexander Dugan is shitty, but of course, like, Ezra's not going to talk about that aspect of this whatsoever. Yeah, like, I don't know. 
Because, like, if it wasn't Ukraine, then I bet... I bet it wasn't good people who did it, you know? Yeah, one, like, would, one would hope that it was, like, anti-fascists, but probably wasn't. Yeah, because that's the thing, is, like, within Russia, some of the major, biggest pushback to Putin these days is, like people who are like why isn't the military why isn't the invasion going better <laughs> you know why are we why are we committing more to this war yeah um, so like you're saying like a false flag to instigate more russian involvement not even necessarily like or a, just like russian supporters that are doing it for like those kind of reasons yeah like like russian military officials who want to have like want putin to have because putin's kind of like you know isolated his own circle right so if you want to get him to listen then you have to make some room in the like yeah. inner circle right yeah i mean but alexander and, you know, dugan's also role, needless speculation yeah, yeah. yeah alexander dugan's role has been sort of like questioned as well in terms of like how connected he is to putin because uh, he's been nicknamed like putin's brain but then some people just say he's been influential but not as influential or, or whatever although putin has like parroted a lot of Dugan's talking points, which I think is what helps like feed in to that sort of like perception, especially with this idea of like uh like pan-Slavism and stuff like this. The other aspect of it too, which is also something that isn't frequently talked about, which I think is relevant, which that is that a lot of the people within, for example, the Donetsk uh Donetsk uh, People's Republic, a lot of them came out of the national Bolshevik movement and were associated with Alexander Dugin. And those were the people who were leading the militias, which then were the Eastern separatists uh, that sort of started off this conflict back in 2014. And again, I'm not going to take a side on whether or not like those were justified or not, but it always frustrates me that we spend an inordinate amount of time talking about Azov, sometimes justified, sometimes not. Justified in part because I think we were uh, partially funding or sending people to to train with them and stuff like this uh, as a Canadian government. And I think that's worth talking about and pointing out. But then it's like the Eastern separatists are themselves their own form of fascism. So you're, we're dealing with like two fascist sides fighting here a lot of the time. And yet like it's weird how sides are being taken by some people, you know? Like, I, I don't think the Ukrainian fascists are good. I also don't think the Russian fascists are good. Yeah, it, it's very much one of those, like, oh, wow, you're taking sides in an international conflict. How brave of you. How influential of you to post <laughs> on Twitter about it. You know, like, I don't know. It, it, as always, it's just kind of a, like, best way to, like, oppose militarism and imperialism abroad is to resist it at home like you know canada the u.s are major arms dealers they're also you know doing horrific things within their own country and abroad and you can change or like at least target those things you're not gonna do anything for ukraine or russia right like and like i'm I will say I am largely sympathetic to the aspect of Ukrainians not wanting to be occupied by an invasion of Russian troops. I am sympathetic mm -hmm. to that line. And I think most of my sympathies lie in that direction, even though I am aware of aspects of Ukraine, both in its neoliberalism and its fascist elements that I'm not, I don't love Ukraine uh, as like a, uh, 
a governmental entity or, <laughs> you know, but at the same time, it's weird how people try to like, I don't know, think of what's happening in Ukraine as something that isn't an invasion or, or something like that. And, and that'll lead into sort of like the next clips that we're going to play from Ezra, because Ezra somehow wants to compare what's going on now to the war in Iraq. And specifically, he wants to play a clip of what he describes as the shock and awe campaign, which turns out it's from the, the first Gulf War, uh, at least the clip that he's going to play. And he he's going to make some sort of comparison uh, with, I guess, Russia's response to the bridge bombing that happened recently. Now, after the attack on the Crimean Bridge, Putin's military did launch a, a, a barrage of missile attacks on Ukraine. And that certainly got a lot of media coverage. But when I saw some of the footage, it's very hard to get footage from Ukraine. It's very hard to know what's real and what's disinformation. But frankly, it, it looked a little bit, it reminded me of the U.S. tactic of shock and awe when the U.S. military first attacked Baghdad after 9-11. Let me give you a reminder of, uh, sorry, it was, it was not 9-11, it was the first Gulf War. Here's the first Gulf War, the shock and awe tactic of scaring and breaking the confidence in Baghdad. Here's what Baghdad looked like during shock and awe. That is shocking and awesome. Uh, probably killed a lot of civilians too. Here's what the Russian missile attack on Kiev and other places looked like. It, it looks like some people were bloodied and obviously some people were killed, but frankly, I, I don't know if I would call it devastating, at least these images. I'm sure, I'm sure it did kill people and I, I'm sure tens of thousands of Ukrainians and civilians have been killed. But you know, here, here was a pro-Ukrainian video montage and the bridge they showed destroyed was like a, one of those tourist glass bridges, the kind of bridge you have to be courageous to walk on because the floor was glass. It, it actually felt like it was a shock and awe move designed to scare more than to kill en masse. So before we, we comment on uh, what Ezra just said there, which was basically trying to downplay the effects of the, the shelling of Ukraine, uh, I will say I took out uh, the middle section here, which is Ezra does play like a minute to two minute long clip of just the sounds of bombing during the first uh, Gulf War. And I, mm -hmm. I edited that out, hence the weird uh, pause in the middle. <laughs> I mean, we don't need to listen to just the sound of shelling for two minutes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they were different wars. Like, <laughs> But it's like what he's trying to say is that like, the thing that annoys me too is because he's describing this as like as if shock and awe was merely to scare and that the the loss of life was minimal. It was just a minimal loss of life as we just shocked and awed people by dropping bombs on them. And that somehow that's what Russia is doing in Ukraine. He's just he's just politely he blew up a pedestrian bridge just for like boop just to scare you a little. Look at the Chechen wars, right? Like Look at what the capital of Chechnya looked like at the end of those wars. Right now, Russia has the goal of, like, occupation and, like, not destroying everything. That might change. The Americans did not have the goal of occupation and, you know, incorporation in particularly the first Gulf War. They were there just destroying, like, civilian infrastructure. And, like, making it so that 
the Saddam regime suffered. And that that can change. And the people of Iraq suffered. Like, and in the context yeah, of the exactly. Ukrainian war, like that could change. Like, there's there's clips now of Russian officials on their state media talking about the uh, entire elimination of Ukrainians and that Ukraine is not a country it needs to be like gotten rid of. And so yeah, it's no, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah, like like there are different wars in different contexts with different goals, and uh, you know, like it, it's. I don't know. It's just like so silly to be like, oh, wow. They're doing different things. They're just shocking and on. Mm hmm. That's it. They just they just want to like scare Ukraine a little bit. That's that's all. It's the big the big yeah. scariness continuing in that line. Uh, Ezra wants to discuss what an end game of the conflict would look like. So that's his next sort of like approach to this conversation is how. How do we figure out the whole peace situation? Because eventually this war has to end, right? Can you really expect a total victory over a nuclear power, especially one whose authoritarian ruler has been publicly humiliated? Uh, blowing up that bridge over Crimea was shocking for sure, but does Ukraine actually think they will reconquer Ukraine, which has been legally annexed to Russia? Do they think that's gonna happen and do they think Putin would allow that to happen without pushing the nuclear button. I mean, I don't know. On Sometimes I'm told he's a maniac and unpredictable and he could be very dangerous. And other times I'm told not to worry about the Russian military at all. I don't know which to believe. I just don't think that Ukraine can have a military victory over a nuclear-armed Russia. I just don't know if it's possible. What's crazy in the West, both in the United States and Canada, is that it is a nonpartisan, a, a bipartisan military-industrial complex now. Very few Republicans have spoken out against giving almost $100 billion worth of cash and weapons to Ukraine. Very few have. And in Canada, the same thing. I, say Pierre, I see Pierre Polyev is vigorously denouncing Russia and supporting Ukraine. Okay, of course, Russia is the aggressor here, but... Does every single party now support this war without a parallel track suing for peace? I mean, if Justin Trudeau, of all people, is pro-war, is there anyone else left? Have you heard a word from the peace parties of the left, from Jagmeet Singh, about maybe suing for peace? I keep hearing this argument being made, and I, the, the first reaction I always have to it is there is a very easy way to achieve peace here, which is that if Russia ends its invasion of Ukraine. And yet, like, I don't know what people expect Ukraine to do as the government to do in this sense of, like, how to achieve peace. And it has little to do with whether or not, like, Vladimir Putin is this crazy person or, like, some brilliant maniacal figure. Because he could probably be a little bit of both. Like, I don't think this is, like, a... A mutually exclusive sort of thing but like what what are what are they to do you know like and and does this does this sort of like transfer over to every single time a larger military power invades another country that really the best way to avoid loss of life and to avoid uh conflict is to just like go okay you can occupy us and tell us what to do and then it's like for one People throughout history have never just, like, done that. Mm -hmm. And two, that is so immoral <laughs> to a certain extent, you know? 
And even though I agree, I do have my concerns because Russia is a nuclear power. And unlike America and its wars of aggression and invasions, total nuclear war was not on the table, uh, I don't think. I don't remember that being an issue brought up. Like, America did deploy various uranium bombs or whatnot on Iraq like they're in Afghanistan. Like, they're America sucks. Like, I'm not trying to say that. What I am saying is it was never like, yeah, and if anyone stops us, we're going to nuke you. Like, <laughs> that was never on the table, right? But that, so yeah, I am a little anxious about that as well. But like, I don't know what the solution is because like Ukraine's going to keep fighting this. Whether whether they're armed or not, or whether we're like really adamant that they start working towards peace. Yeah, it's it's very, yeah. Pe people are just too like online brained and, you know, they think that the world is like Crusader Kings or Civ Six, where it's like, oh, you've occupied my city. They're going to be in a rebellious mood for a bit, and then they're just going to calm down, and um, everybody else is just going to be chill about it, though. So, and, yeah. And all you have to do is look at every conflict zone on the, the planet right now. Like, mm -hmm. like, how long did the Afghanistan conflict go for? How long did the Iraq war conflict go for? How long are has the conflict uh, over Palestine been going on for, right? Look at even Canada. How long has that conflict been going on against the indigenous people of our country? And to think that somehow those who are occupied are just somehow going to be like, you know what? They are right. If we just give up, so many of us won't die or something. So let's just make peace. Like, that's not how it works. Yeah, no, it, it's just not. Peace under occupation isn't peace, right? Like... <laughs> And that's regardless of whether Ukraine are like good people or like on the right side of history or any of that. But there are they are going to behave like an occupied people behaves. Mm -hmm. It's just weird that that part of the analysis, it, it's like the even those who ostensibly describe themselves as being on the left never bring that up when it came to the Iraq War. That like somehow the, the people of Iraq should just like in order to save themselves, just give in to the occupation. But somehow that is constantly placed on Ukraine. And I just feel like like that's just such a weird analysis to be placed on them as opposed to any others. And I think largely it has to do with this like connection that somehow people connect Ukraine to NATO or influenced by the West in ways that they didn't to, say, Iraq or other people. And it is true that, yes, Ukraine is closer to NATO in that regards and is getting help from the West, but it doesn't change the dynamics of the ground that they got invaded. Yeah. Also, I, I just to throw in there for good measure that Ezra called it illegal annexation, and uh, that's questionable. Uh, <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just say that it's questionable, all right? That's such a weird thing to say. Somebody took something and said, it's mine now. So they, it's theirs now. It's illegally theirs now. I've been catching up on because like in order to sort of prepare for this episode, I was like trying to read a whole bunch of sources and all this. And it's like amazing how distant we are from the conflict that started in 2014, because it's not like in Crimea, there was no Ukrainian population against Russia's uh, taking over of Crimea. And in fact, a lot of people were displaced from Crimea Donetsk, Luhansk, and ended up fleeing to mainland Ukraine because they were worried about what was going to happen to them. Mm -hmm. Now, 
obviously it's a, it was a civil conflict and I'm not saying one side was better than the other, but the point I'm raising here is that because of this displacement, if you then hold an election in that area when there's fewer of like one side than the other because the other side fled, how is that a fair representation of what's going on there? Because now yeah. you have a displaced population that did not get to participate in that vote or have like their say like had, right? So the whole aspect of it is just like, bonkers just to even think that whatever vote was had there whether you think it was like fair or not because i think having an election under force of an occupying like uh army is uh there's questions as to whether that's fair or not but then to to claim that uh it's representative in any meaningful way is also sort of bizarre to me yeah ezra then wonders about something which i think is a little better to wonder about which is uh why are we so involved in the Ukraine conflict and not in other conflicts such as what's going on in Yemen? And uh, I do think there is some racism at play with what conflicts Western powers choose to involve themselves in and others not. I, I mean, there's a difference between involvement and media attention on. True. Because we are involved in the war in Yemen. But not We're involved on the, on the yeah. side of the aggressors. <laughs> like, yeah. Not on the good side, yeah. Or again, yeah, like, like not that any side is good or good or bad. I haven't fully, again, my own ignorance about what's going on in Yemen. But I'm sure, like, like any conflict, everything is messed up. But it's like we shouldn't be funding one side to be bombing the other, you know? Yeah. And so on that front, like, I, I, I do agree. That is the one criticism that gets raised that I think is relevant, which is like, there does see. And part of that, I think, is because Russia is a larger nuclear power. And then there's like geo global political implications of what is going on there in ways that these other conflicts don't rise to that same level of, I guess, like global threat. You know, nuclear annihilation reaches <laughs> some threshold of like global threat. Right. And so yeah. I understand that aspect of it. But I do think that like there are tons of conflicts that go on around the world that we either ignore because and, and ignore in terms of as you said media attention because it doesn't matter to us because you know usually for racist reasons or like uh the middle east people and we can just ignore that mm -hmm. and so you know the one thing the one thing that ezra has said this entire piece i'm like yeah you have there's a modicum of a point here sure i'll take it now we are going to end with one more clip and then this will finish our Ukraine coverage, which has taken up most of the show. But I, uh, I think it was important to go through some of it because, again, I do find it a little frustrating that there's some people on the left saying almost verbatim everything that Ezra has said in this episode. And I should just say there, that doesn't necessarily mean that Ezra can't be right. Of course, he can be right, like on the point that I just uh, made previously. But I would be a little concerned if all of my talking points lined up with this guy, I would just say. Yeah. But the final point is he wants to talk about his uh, pro-war past when it came to wars that occurred after September 11th. And he wants to compare it to his anti-war stance now. I find myself in an unusual position being someone who's against wars. At the time, I thought the 9-11 wars were very justified. I was delighted when Saddam Hussein was smashed by George Bush Sr., Sometimes a war makes people feel artificially bold and confident. That's just usually if you don't know anyone who's fighting it. 
If it's far away, you can only read the exciting footage, uh, stories and see the exciting footage. But I'm not sure how long this war will stay far away if Joe Biden says he's going to give high-tech American equipment and if Canada's saying it's going to be involved. How long will this war just stay on our TV sets? Uh, how long will it be till some of it comes home to us? I find it funny that at several times in this episode, he referred to the 9-11 wars and then immediately pivoted to Iraq, even though Iraq had absolutely nothing to do with 9-11. <laughs> I mean, it was justified by the American government having to do with 9-11, even though it had nothing yeah. to do with 9-11. But. I mean, that is... I kind of like that framing more than I like the like war on terror framing because like that's more accurate. It's like, oh yeah, these were the American tantrum wars. Like these were the America got a little tiny taste of what it does to the world and so it needed to go and destroy two countries over it wars. I also sense, and I don't know if you share this sense, but in what he said, he almost sounds and even I'm not saying this in terms of like sympathy for his position he could be doing this largely mm -hmm. for propagandistic reasons but he sounds like saddened by his previous position like he was wrong as if like yeah we, we had such a distance to it that like you know what i mean like he almost comes across like he, he's trying to say that he was wrong before but he doesn't just outright say it yeah no that that is what it sounded like a little bit it was interesting but then it's also like it, it is weird the whole because, like, I think he is right in terms of, like, the idea that, like, getting involved might cause some blowback at home. And I think in ways that Ezra isn't even going to talk about. Like, uh, I was worried about, like, us helping out, like, the Azov Battalion and stuff like this can have, like, blowback of, like, what that does to the far right in Canada who might go over there and train with them, or et cetera, et cetera, right? So, like, yeah, there there is blowback that is going to happen from this conflict. But it was always weird to me that, like, part of the justification for, like, the Iraq war and all this stuff was, like, we need to fight them over there so we don't have to fight them over here or some sort of, like, nonsense. And now it's, like, totally shifted where it's, like, if we get involved over there, it's going to come back, you know. And it's, like, mm. I, I think the thing is it's, it's, it's always going to come back because it always involves everyone at this point. <laughs> Even if you do nothing, it's that you're, you're not doing anything is also in, you know, an oxymoronic way doing something, you know. But uh, we're all involved now. This is the life we live. And that's it. <laughs> uh, no more Ukraine ever again. <laughs> Actually, that's probably not true. This is probably going to come up again. But uh, uh, I thought it was worth... This was the first time where like he actually went through a bunch of points and like was very clear about some of his stances. And I, I thought it was worth at least going over it. But our, our episode is not done. We have a little bit more to go through, because I believe that was still the ninth. That was the first day. <laughs> no, that was the ten. No, it wasn't. That was the ninth. Oh my god. Don't worry, the rest is all been one uh, day. Yeah. The rest is gonna be less involved. But uh on a on October tenth, uh Ezra talks with Derek Fildebrandt of the Western Standard online newspaper magazine thing. And they just spend the whole time talking about Jason Kenney and then Daniel Smith, who recently won uh, premier won the leadership race uh, for the United Conservative Party and is now technically the premier of Alberta, even though she's not an elected MP, right? I think that's or or member it's, of the legislative assembly or whatever they call it. Yeah, it's it's not a technically she just is because that's how 
Yeah, it's just weird. Works. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I'm just reflecting on the weirdness of it. <laughs> I don't know. It, I don't know. It's I've seen a lot of people be like, "Oh, she's illegitimate because she doesn't have a scene." It's like that's not no at it's, all yeah. how our parliamentary system works. Like, she's the leader of the largest party in the legislature. That's kind she's of why I use premier. technically, like, yeah, which is like, it, like, yeah, literally by the rules. That's. Uh... <laughs> It's just like it has the it it does it is a weird fact of our system that this is how it goes. Yeah. That being said, they they didn't really say anything of interest, so we don't necessarily need to talk about it. You know, they praised Danielle Smith uh, somewhat, and also had some, you know, resistance to like because they they view. I got this from the last time uh, when Ezra talked to Lauren Gunter as well. Is that they view her as somewhat of a saboteur for the Wild Rose Party. And so fear that she's going to do a similar thing to the UCP or something. But that's most of their pushback. Everything else seems more supportive of her, especially in terms of, uh, I think, the Western separatist stuff. So on the 11th, which is Wednesday, again, uh, there was no show there because they did the 9th, which was uh, a Monday. So we'll skip that. And then on the 12th, David Menzies is the host, and he's complaining about PayPal. And he's comparing them to the TV show Black Mirror. And it's not even that important to go over. Like, what happened recently? So PayPal, for what it's worth, already banned Rebel News from their platform. That never gets brought up in this entire discussion. But what this is referring to is, I guess, somewhere in, like, PayPal's terms and conditions, they had a little blurb about, like, the spreading of misinformation will get you like fined on their platform or something like this. And it was poorly worded. And the thing that's funny is like, they never actually like implemented the policy. Like no one got dinged for this, but PayPal just came out with a statement saying that they like, that was a poorly worded thing and they're going to change it. And that's mm -hmm. when the conservative media like picked it up as if like PayPal is doing this evil thing. When, like, no one knew it was there. <laughs> it was just PayPal just put out a little statement being like, oh, we, we thought the wording of this was weird, so we're going to fix our terms of service. And that was like, that's it. It became a huge right-wing media thing over absolutely nothing. So Sounds about standard. Like, Yep. Yeah. Although we did get the funny point. I guess at one point in the discussion, Menzies describes corporatism as socialism. So... I would tend to think that those are two different things, but not according to David Menzies. Now, this is a topic that you might be more interested in, which is uh, David Menzies has on Franco Terrazano of the Taxpayer Federation to complain about the ArriveCan app. And okay. part of that is because I think $56 million were spent on the construction and maintenance of the application. And contrary to the a little ongoing discussion we had, it was outsourced to a contractor. It was not done in-house, the, the development of this application. Yeah, no, when you say that price tag, there's no way it was in-house. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's somebody getting a, a government contract and then just milking it. Like, Yeah, and it, here's the thing. is Some of it seems a bit uh, fishy. So, like, mm -hmm. the thing that always bugs me about these stories is because there is a little bit of truth, I think, to the corruption narrative here. And I think, like... 
I am also interested in why specific companies were chosen. And because one of them is the, the main recipient of the money was some sort of like G, GC, uh, GC Strategies, which is based out of Ottawa. And they seem more to be like a placement agency. Like they were hired to then hire people to develop the app. And it's so weird. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't understand why this happened. Uh, and maybe there's a reasonable explanation for it. But again, I would like the government to sort of like spell it out. Like I'm I'm okay with that kind of challenging of the liberal government and what they did here, right? They also, but like part of it is like they go on to describe there was this company called Laser Technologies. And what Laser yeah. Technologies did was they developed a clone of the app in like two days. And we're like, see, it. there's no way it should have cost this much money. But that ignores like integrating the system with the Canadian government such that like it has access to your vaccine records and stuff like this. It also ignores uh, like maintenance costs as the thing gets churning. So it's like, there's a part of that where I agree. It seems simple enough that maybe it shouldn't cost this much money. The other part of it though is like, there's probably like a middle ground where I think laser technologies is over-exaggerating their case, but $56 yeah. million seems a little excessive for, for what we got. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that's how Canadian government works, right? Like that is what can it, what the government was founded to do was to give Canadian like industry absurd amounts of money from public coffers. Like that's, you know, Canada exists because the fur trading companies were like, hey, we need government backing a little bit more, please. And you know, the railway industry was like, hey, we could really use some, like, government contracts so that we don't have to shell out the money ourselves. This is just how, what Canada is. Like, there is no world in which, like, oh, you have some more transparency and things get fixed. Because, you know, yeah, sure, we've mo moved on from, like, open patronage. We haven't moved on far. No. Like... You know, yeah, like, the elected MP can no longer give, like, all his friends, like, government jobs and contracts directly. There's a couple more steps now. But, like, that's... That's what it is. Like, yeah. This this is also know. what frustrates me about corruption narratives generally. Because they're more often than not utilized by conservative governments to push out liberal or left-leaning governments by also pointing to them and go, ooh, ooh, look, corruption, corruption. And then mm -hmm. then there's a backlash and people start supporting the conservatives only for them to get in power and do the exact same fucking thing. And that's what like annoys me about it, where it's like the conservative governments always do it way more and way worse to a certain degree, oh, yeah. and yet always use corruption as the thing to bring down... Uh, Leftists and like the reason why I say leftists is because this often happens in South America as well, where this has happened quite frequently. Just look at Brazil, for example. So mm. I, I have my concern about when people start getting on that corruption like hype train. Although I also agree where it's like we should have a little transparency for why specific companies were chosen by the liberal government and not others, right? Like so, I, I have like sympathies at both camps here, where like. I'm not sure this is going to be scandalous enough or should be scandalous enough to like destroy the liberal government or whatever. I think there's many reasons to do that besides <laughs> this, but like, uh, yeah, I, I don't want uh, it to go overboard to the point where like conservatives get into power over it. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's it. So we are on to the 13th. And on Woo-hoo. the 13th was the day before the beginning of the uh, inquiry. So the inquiry started on Friday. This is the Thursday. And Ezra is talking about how he's going to be in, in like Ottawa covering it for like the whole six weeks that it's going to be going on. He also is like very critical of it. He thinks that it, uh, he's mad that part of the mandate was to investigate what the truckers were doing. And he's like, the whole thing should just be about the emergency act. They shouldn't investigate the truckers. And I'm like, yeah, but investigating the truckers sort of explains why they might have used the emergency act. So it's like, it's part of the whole package. Like, <laughs> And that's aside from whether it was or is in fact justified to use the emergency act. It's just like, in order for the government to make its case, of course they're going to talk about what the truckers did. Yeah. But he thinks that that's like, again, it's just going to be utilized to like paint the truckers as bad or something. And so he's he's upset about it. But I do want to start off. So he starts off by pointing out that they're going to be renting an Airbnb. I will be in Ottawa. I will be going to our special Airbnb studio. We have rented a private home for the duration of the trucker public order commission of inquiry. That's right. They're renting an Airbnb. And he emphasizes that it's going to cost close to $30,000. But we are going to put through 15 different reporters over the next six weeks in Ottawa. And if you can help me out, please do. You know, renting that Airbnb for a month and a half, that big, that location, that close to the inquiry, it's about $15,000. And when you add in the other costs of supporting our team, flying them there, helping keep them going, you know, uh, we have other costs in the city, whether it's Ubers or food and just getting our people in and out because no one's going to do all six weeks together. I think we're going to wind up spending about $30,000 covering this trucker commission. And if you want to follow the trucker commission or help us chip in to cover it, please go to truckercommission.com. That's right. You got to go to that website. You got to fund their $30,000 Airbnb. They couldn't think of a better a better like tagline than truckercommission.com. Truckercommission.com. I lo- like here's the other part of it too is they they ref- for whatever reason he like avoids calling it the like emergency act inquiry. He always mm-hmm. frames it in terms of like this is a trucker thing and it's like part of the branding of like making it about the trucks, you know. Why? It's it's going to be so cool though. Like, listen to, listen to Ezra describing how cool it's going to be. I'm going to get on a plane right now. I'm going to fly to Ottawa, and I'm going to join our head of video, Efron Monsanto, and our wonderful young reporter based in Ottawa, William diaz Berthion, who's on the ground already. So when I see you next, I will be in our nation's capital, and I'll tell you what the Airbnb is like. That's right. We're going to get <laughs> we're gonna get full footage of the Airbnb, yo. It's going to be crib style, but it's all going to be on the Airbnb. <laughs> I can't wait for the for the tour, the the equipment unboxing videos, um, <laughs> the food reviews. He he starts talking about like what the first day is going to look like and stuff like this and he plays some clips uh during the convoy and like things that happened. 
Uh, but he does end by stressing something very important. So we, we should hear what he has to say at the very end of the show. We really are going full tilt like we were during the convoy itself. If you want to help us out, go to truckercommission.com. That's where we're going to compile all of our journalism from this event. So it's going to be a very valuable resources for that alone. And if you want to chip in to help us cover our Airbnb and travel and other expenses, please do. It's not a fancy Airbnb. It's just large enough that we can stay there and have a little studio in the living room. So if you want to go to truckercommission.com, I'd appreciate it. All right. They really want you to know, Vietnam. <laughs> they are staying at an Airbnb. How many of those employees are going to last through this entire month and a half? That, you know, that is a good question. The fights that are going to happen well, the, in that Airbnb when they're all stuck there together for that long. But they're not because they're going to be filtering them in and out. Oh, okay. okay so, here's, so here's the thing. We get to the 14th. So now we're the Friday. And the first half uh, of the episode is Ezra continuing his coverage of the inquiry. And of course, he's recorded this now after the the first day, which was only three hours long uh, of the inquiry. And in a weird way, he's changed his tune a bit because uh, some of the, the police departments had said that they didn't require the emergency act to remove some of the things. So for example, uh, the Coots blockade and also the, the Windsor blockade were removed before the emergencies act or the yeah. Windsor one sort of coincided. It's a little bit more like iffy, but like, but what gets ignored about the Coots thing is the the blockaders sort of like gave themselves up after the arrests of the four people who a rebel funded lawyer is now representing some of them after they allegedly threatened to kill cops. Yeah. And had a stockpile of weapons and were associated with a white nationalist organization. But uh, <laughs> all that, of course, gets ignored. But but he claims that like some people are, are saying the emergency act was not necessary. So now Ezra is all excited uh, he's also happy that rebel employees are going to be allowed in to cover it. He doesn't like officially mention this, but like Democracy Fund has lawyers that are actually involved with the committee. So like Rebel News is not just covering it, but is actually involved in the inquiry itself. Uh, it's just under the name the Democracy Fund, but they are there. Yeah. Now, speaking of all the employees covering it, and the fact that they're going to all stay at an Airbnb. <laughs> you know, when he said 30000 it's probably actually going to cost around $40,000. <laughs> hey, one more thing about truckercommission.com. I told you about the Airbnb. That's $15,000. I told you that we're cycling through our reporters. i got to say, I got an estimate from our travel assistant yesterday. That's probably going to be twenty grand to cycle through the 15 people back and forth uh, and, and to cover the other travel expenses. There are, we, ha we have some equipment. We set up a little mini studio. So I think we need probably about $40,000. That's a rounding error to the regime media. I mean, they just get it from Justin Trudeau. If you think this kind of journalism is important, and I do, please go to truckercommission.com. Chip in a few bucks if you can. So, yeah, they're going to be rotating the people in and out, which is why they got to cover the travel costs and explode the cost of $40,000. Was that a microwave in the background? Like there was some sort of like cyclical noise and then a beep. He was outside of the, the inquiry building. So that was traffic and stuff like that. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, there you have it. Airbnb. The, I You know, th they grift. We know this. Mm -hmm. We've talked about it. 
But the amount of times he talked about that Airbnb was pretty excessive for uh, (laughs) for Rebel News trying to grip something. Did I tell you about the Airbnb? (laughs) We're going to be in this Airbnb. And it's not even that much for like what? Like they normally ask for more for things like this. Um, Because that doesn't sound adequate. Like that honestly doesn't sound like enough to get 15 people in and out of Ottawa and like food and housing and then uh, presumably labor costs as well you know it's hard for me to tell we don't have inside information to any of this but it's likely that they have the funding to cover it and what they're doing is just pitching to their audience so they can just raise money and they're just using it as a selling point if i had to make a guess it's just that but that's the thing right like they're pitching to their audience and they're not even asking for the full amount like like normally they seem to like really oversell how much how desperate they are whereas this time they're like we're saying an airbnb we need we need a little bit of cash give us some spending money for the streets of ottawa my guess though is that it's like i don't know if like if they have somebody like a rich business person who maybe mm-hmm. is giving them like oh you're going to cover this thing so like maybe the money is going directly to doing this thing and it's not going into their pockets so then the grifting to their audience is so that they get the, the money in their pockets. Yeah, yeah. But I I mean, again, all speculation because I don't have inside access to how they do their financials, but it could be something like that. No, I get, it just like it doesn't sound as like desperate and needy as usual, you know, like they don't have, they're not putting the energy into the grift because they obviously don't actually need the money. They haven't sound that desperate in a while. And I think it's in large part because of the sort of, they must be getting large scale financial support once Mm -hmm. like their pandemic fear mongering sort of kicked into gear and all of a sudden they started hiring a bunch of people. Yeah. And it, no, exactly. I, I have speculated against this is completely based speculation, but just like somebody gave Alex Jones like a million in crypto and like people speculate that it was like Peter Thiel. It would not surprise me if they had either Peter Thiel himself or some other Peter Thiel-like figure throwing money at Rebel News. Especially in Rebel News, uh, like their now connection with Rumble as well, which again is a Peter Thiel enterprise. Now, we get to the final segment. It's the interview segment on the Friday. And Ezra, because he's at the inquiry, he does not do the final interview. Instead, it is hosted by Sheila Gunn-Reed, and the person she is interviewing is David Menzies. And the reason why Sheila is interviewing David Menzies is because David Menzies decided to dress in drag with rather large breasts and go and harass a school board in Oakville over the teacher there who made media for, again, uh, allegedly being trans, but then also wearing large breasts. And so we are going to talk about that. If you want to hear the sort of beginnings of that story, you can listen to our uh, two episodes ago where we talked about it. I will say in some of the clips that we're going to play, there's going to be a lot of misgendering. And like, I feel like if I were to like block it out or whatever, it's going to become largely incoherent for the amount of times that they, they misgender or dead name this person. So I am mm. just going to flag if that makes you uncomfortable. Uh, noted it also makes me uncomfortable but i think it is worth hearing some of the points that they make so i am just going to flag up front that that's going to happen i'm i'm accepting the fact that this person probably is trans i have no reason to believe that they aren't and uh 
even if we if you're out there and you disagree with the size of their boobs for whatever reason uh still not a reason to uh be an anti-trans bigot towards them now with all that being said at one point uh menzies goes through his three models uh his three theories model again which is that either uh they're sincere which he doesn't believe or they have mental illness or it's a, a hoax a troll basically that's sort of his, yeah. his three theories model and he again thinks that it's likely a troll and he says that because in his mind, usually trans people will want to blend in and not stand out. And I'm like, that might be true for most people generally, but like even the trans community is going to have people just like in, in every other community, somebody who wants to stand out. So like a, a weird way to describe that. But then Sheila responds by saying that she doesn't think it's a troll. But then she also doesn't understand why the trans community would defend this person. And so, uh, again, apologies for all the, you know, misgendering and stuff. But here it goes. Here's uh, Sheila Gunn-Reed. You know, it's funny that the the trans community is so interested in keeping this guy within the fold. (laughs) Because he's so very obviously, for me, I don't think he's a troll at this point. I think that would have... We would have ripped that Band-Aid off by now. I think he is just like in the olden times, he would be a guy in a trench coat at the bus stop flashing people. <laughs> he gets off on just showing people his parts, even parts he doesn't have. Um, and I think that goes uh, to my theories about the bike shorts. Um, but <laughs> I, it seems weird that they're so interested in making sure that he's still on their team. And I say that because the new docu-series on Jeffrey Dahmer, and I wouldn't call it a docu-series, I would call it like a drama docu-series, on Jeffrey Dahmer was in Netflix, was on Netflix, but in the category of LGBTQ entertainment. And they were like, no, no, he's not one of ours. We don't want him. <laughs> but they're so very interested in protecting this very strange man and his right to show genitals, both fake and real, to teenage boys. <laughs> That's right, you know. Sheila Gunn Reads thinks that breasts are genitals. There's a lot going on there. <laughs> I don't think I've seen anybody being like, yeah, that's one of ours for sure. Like, it's more of a, like, it doesn't matter if it's one of ours. You just be a decent human about it. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just so. Even even in the, like, the Dahmer. Like, for one, it's, like, fucked up that she would even make this comparison between Jeffrey Dahmer yeah. and his teacher. But then there's, like, the flip side. It's, like, the LGBT community isn't going to deny whether or not someone who turns out to be a horrific serial killer was, like, gay or not. Or, like, whatever yeah. the history is there. What they were mad about was that, like, Netflix was calling this LGBTQ media. That's, like, it has nothing to do with, like, owning somebody in your community or, like, whatever. Because it's, like, of course, gay people are, like, everyone. They're going to have their serial killers or, like, terrible humans, you know? Yeah. But it is weird. Like, they get to make up this, like, image of what this person is based on no information whatsoever. But, like, sexualize this person to the point where they're now compared to, like, Jeffrey Dahmer. Like, it it's so fucked up yeah 
And like, again, like it, it, it's like, it's one of these things where like, I don't even think the stochastic terrorism here is like intentional. Like they're just thinking I'm going to do this and it's going to create like, you know, people being violent, but it's like, they're, they're so invested in this like trans bigotry that like even the way they casually just talk about it and joke about it is itself creating a kind of stochastic terrorism. And it's like if you don't perceive how like comparing this teacher to Jeffrey Dahmer is not stochastic terrorism, like I don't know what the fuck to tell you at that point. Yeah, it's, it's just very like, you know, it, it, it's a preparation for a hate campaign regardless of like any of it and that's the thing that people are opposing like yeah i frankly don't really give a shit about this person i care about the reaction to it though like that's it 100 percent. you know when you have people outside of school saying like what was it it was kill all f slurs outside of a school like yeah i do actually oppose that like I don't understand, like, yeah, it's it's very obviously, like, a a thing to oppose. I mean, it was the same thing that was done to Jessica Yaniv, who was another person where, like, I don't agree with everything that she did or the actions that she did, but the way rebel media talked about her was to, like, take it to an extent where it's, it's not just about Jessica Yaniv, it's now about the dialogue that you've created around trans people generally because of one trans person's crappy behavior and so that yeah. that is i mean like and that being said as i mentioned when we first covered this story i don't even care necessarily with this person's appearance or what they're doing to a certain extent i don't care i don't think it's like again they're talking about it as if this person is harming those students in that class and even though i might go i personally would not get breasts that big or whatever <laughs> for aesthetic choices I may bring to the table. I don't think what's going on there is harming people in that classroom. Yeah. Menzies and Sheila continue by both reflecting on whether it is in fact the troll or not. And I wanted to play this clip in particular because Sheila says something that tracks with something I said uh, the last time we covered it. So I thought it would be interesting to just play that. Sheila, you might be right, but here's the other part of the situation if it's theory number two i.e this is a cosmic prank that is being played upon the halton district school board uh mr lemieux is trapped and by that i mean for starters i don't think he ever dreamed this would go viral around the world like it has uh that's one thing secondly if he comes clean should this be a prank if he says listen mia culpa i'm i'm gonna cover up i'm gonna dress as a male i was just trying to prove a point one he will be fired with cause from the Halston District School Board. Secondly, the LGBTQ plus uh, XYZ mafia will come after him. Hell hath no fury mode. I'm telling you, Sheila, for making monkeys out of them, because anyone in that community that is right now supporting him, they will have egg on their face. So uh, Mr. Lemieux either has to play this through until retirement <laughs> or if he goes back to being a male, he has to, the only thing I can think of, uh, Sheila, uh, he has to now claim he's gender fluid. Sometimes I'm a big-breasted chick. Sometimes I'm a regular guy shop teacher. That's just how I roll. So, you know, I guess we'll find out in the weeks and months ahead, but it's a fascinating story nevertheless. 
if he is faking for, I don't know, to prove a point or whatever, God help him if he runs into parents in the street, because he has now, if this is the case, going to lending to your theory, if he, if this is the case, then he has brought other people's children unwillingly in on the gag. And I don't think that's fair to do to minor children. And he's going to face blowback from parents. That was the point that I made like last episode. Like if what they view is like actual harm, like David Menzies was talking about, like, wouldn't it be like cool if it was a troll or like somehow he would be good if it was a troll because he really got them leftists or whatever. But like, I was like, but then you're still exposing those like to the harm that you yeah. think it's a harm, which is exactly what she, even though I disagree that it is a harm, Sheila is right. To, she she hit on the same contradiction and is like, at least right from their perspective. Yeah. But then also like, why would, in David Menzies' case, why would the trans community be mad with egg in their face? If anything, the trans community would just be like, okay, the dude's an asshole. And then that would, <laughs> that would be the end of it, right? Yeah. I the other thing was like David got the acronym right and then had to cover up with the fact of like adding stuff at the end. Like he's like LGBTQ plus and then like XYZ <laughs> as a like, you know, trying to come up with some way of still being insulting because he ac- accidentally or purposefully like got it right. Like Yeah. It's like their their coverage of this is just super, super bizarre. I also want to note though that like we talked about it like our last episode, we talked about it as well, which was that uh Surf's TV and like I like Surf's TV, this isn't like necessarily a call out, but they did a segment where they talked about how they believe that it was a hoax and that it's possible that Rebel was in on the hoax. And I feel mm. like just listening to Sheila here. I don't think Sheila would be saying this if it was like an in-house hoax created by Rebel News. So I I think this counts against the surf's theory that this is somehow a elaborate hoax or troll. Yeah. Now, we have one last clip. And I wanted to highlight this just in terms of our stochastic terrorist narrative, which is that Menzies is upset with the school board and holds them responsible for allowing people to harass a teacher that was not the teacher in question. So this may sound confusing at first, but I'm going to play the clip and just listen to how fucking bizarre it is what David Menzies is saying here. This school board, very cruelly and maliciously and in a calculated way, Sheila, when the story first broke, for about five days in the news cycle, there was another teacher at that school who was being misidentified as being one and the same as Mr. Lemieux. And they allowed that misinformation to go out. And you can see me talking to the director of education, Mr. Innes, he, him, because I interchanged the word several times and he let it go. Oh, but when I called Mr. Lemieux, he or him, uh, I was corrected in terms of my misgendering. So they're not beyond correcting the narrative. I think what they wanted to do, Sheila, was throw this teacher under the bus, the innocent teacher, to make to say to people, uh-huh, you see how sloppy the media is? They can't even get the names right. They had ample opportunity to correct the record, and they didn't, and that is despicable. What's clear to me of what's happening here is that the school board is noting 
that even though David Menzies clearly knows the trained status of a particular individual, is continuously misgendering them and deadnaming them, and is calling mm-hmm. them out for that, but is not speaking to the particulars of any individual person or who might be involved or teaching where or what, because that goes beyond their mandate and they're not allowed to disclose that information. But he's then yeah. holding them accountable for the fact that journalists misidentified someone and they all started harassing that person. And that's somehow the school board's fault for not settle, not telling them who they should be harassing. Yeah, for not redirecting the harassment to a different person. <laughs> God. If only the school board would help us in who we have to harass. It's stochastic terrorism. That's all this fucking is. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it's like coming so close to like just overt terrorism of just like, please help us direct who we get to terrorize, who we get to harass. Yeah, it's just, it's so, it's so, the, the fact that like these people aren't just kicked off of the internet completely at this point just blows my mind, but this is where we are. Yep. Everything sucks. Um, I got a couple things to plug this week, um, just because it got brought up, um, Africa is a country does put out some, like, very interesting articles on, uh, Africa as, uh, from, like, a left-leading perspective. Interesting essays. Interesting news. Uh, things that you probably wouldn't hear about if you aren't, like, looking at this website. Uh, as well, Like, that uh, Africa is not, in fact, a country. (laughs) Yeah. You may learn that. Yeah. Uh, and also to uh, 972 Magazine articles, uh, which is a um, Palestine-Israel-based uh, magazine uh, that covers both, like, internal to Israel in, like, its 48 borders and um, the Palestinian resistance. Uh, and it's two articles about um, what has been going on recently. Um in the past like few months as um both israeli raids and palestinian resistance have been growing again uh and also just like the different dynamics at play in how um palestinian resistance groups are um acting um especially like since we were talking a little bit about like you know oh ukraine should just like sign a treaty and be peaceful about it or whatever and it's like a lot of these organizations are forming in opposition to the Palestinian Authority, which did exactly that, which laid down its arms and ended armed resistance in order to, you know, have some sort of quote-unquote peace process with Israel, which has obviously done nothing for the people of Palestine. No, I was just going to say briefly, like, to that story, was, like, we covered a a bit of the kind of like uh, claims to anti-Semitism for not supporting Israel on our last episode. And that came out just before Kanye West was going on his like anti-Semitic rants that then, uh, you know, Ben Shapiro defended Kanye, even though Ben Shapiro goes after other Jewish people and calls them not Jews for not supporting Israel. So I just wanted to highlight that because that episode's going to come out after all this has happened and people are probably going to be like, why didn't you talk about that? Because we recorded that all, <laughs> all before the, the Kanye West episode uh, happened. Yeah. 
I mean, that and Israel posing, uh, Israeli like government officials posing with uh, Meloni immediately yeah. after she became the first female prime minister of Italy and also the most recent fascist prime minister of Italy. Yeah, but they're they're interesting articles. Um, and uh, Africa as a country is also and nine seven two magazine both put out like very interesting news and essay things. Um, check them out. Yeah. Well, on that note, if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News of Z. We have a Discord set up, and uh, I've been doing uh, sporadic Twitch streams, so you can go check those out as well. You can find videos on our YouTube channel. Uh, I was hoping to eventually start doing some YouTube content, and that might be coming up in the future. And you can find all those links in the show notes of this episode. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at masontickle.com. Thank you for listening. And we are renting an Airbnb to cover the Ukrainian war. Just go to supportgettinguskilled.com and chip in a few bucks. <laughs> We're going to get killed? Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields?